You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to Precision Shooting Podcast. This is episode number 47. My name is Rusty and uh, with me in this room is uh, two gentlemen and uh, also these guys. Andrew, to my right. Evening. And uh, over there is uh, Mr. Greg Badko. How are you, Greg? Yeah, good. Yourself? Yeah, very good, mate. A little smirk going on there. Not, um. a, not a gentleman. <laughs> uh, very good. Hey, um, Badko, you got, you got famous recognised the other day, you said. What did I? Yeah, you, you said an email somewhere. Came in and someone said, is this... Is this th- oh, that's right. <laughs> You're the Greg Badko. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so are you a 6x47 owner in South Australia <laughs> with the name Greg? You wouldn't have anything to do with the podcast, would you? <laughs> no, well done, mate. You yeah. got it in one. Nicely done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Well, it's always nice to get famous recognised. Yeah, you can't say nice. YouTube famous. Yep. I've just got to keep myself grounded from here on out. <laughs> Otherwise, those earmuffs won't fit on you anymore. You'll <laughs> <laughs> just buy a bigger pair. We... <laughs> We're off to a flyer, aren't we? Oh well, very good. So, guys, how's your uh, how's your couple of weeks been? Yeah, not too bad. Had uh, well, we had the mini PRI or whatever you call it. Yeah, little little comp thing. Yeah. Was, uh, good well, no, let's give it its proper name. Scoped out summer still slam is what it's called. Oh, Say wow. that really fast. Scoped out summer still slam. <laughs> Any other no, challenges? So that, that was a challenge in itself. Um, <laughs> no, that was good. It was a good sort of little prelude to the the real deal. Yeah, it was part of you know it's part of the the series going on in, in SA and is uh, with six six stages, different stuff out to a thousand meters and uh, yeah, we had some some ve- not veteran shooters but some experienced shooters and some uh, fairly fresh guys and from the looks of things though, we had a bit of fun, I think. Yeah, well, it's always better to be shooting than not shooting. Absolutely, that's why we were not shooting. <laughs> in the vicinity of shooting We were nearby That's right You know who wasn't there? Greg yes. He was getting fitted for some custom headphones That's Must be why <laughs> <laughs> So um, we uh, we got a new little um, uh, New little Promotional um, Device What do you call this device? It's called a coffee cup Yeah <laughs> I know I was, I was trying to think of the category of, uh, of what it was in um, We got Precision Shooting Podcast Coffee Mugs and uh, over the course of the uh, maybe the next couple of episodes, we might give a couple away. Um, although so far they're doing pretty well at holding our beverages. Yours, yours are working, gentlemen. Yeah, working well. Yeah, mine, mine seems to keep letting it out of the hole at the top, which I guess is part of the design. But problem is, it doesn't keep coming back in. Anyway, <laughs> it's uh, it's good. So we, we'll put a photo up of these, and uh, hopefully we can give a couple away. It'll be uh, be excellent. So anyway, stay tuned for that. We do have a, re- a way to be able to win one of those uh, throughout the episode sometime. Now, you guys got any updates on things? How's that thermal going there? Greg? Oh, look, it's it's been sitting in the gun safe for the last couple of weeks, but uh, hopefully this weekend I'll get it out again. Um, but yeah, on the news front, um, uh, just looking at um, updates to iPhone apps, the shooter app, ballistic app has been updated to include... Um, uh, Bluetooth connectivity with uh, Kestrel 5000 or Kestrel Drop. So mm-hmm. for those guys out there that use the um, shooter app, that's either news to your ears or you don't really care. So uh, 
Just thought I'd pass that one on. Yeah, very Great. good. Um, Andrew, anything from you, mate? Nothing uh, super applicable. Just a few things which we'll, we'll get into later in this podcast. Okay. Oh, so relevant stuff to the topic Ooh, tonight. Yeah. Okay, very good. Well, I sat in a warehouse for an hour and a half this morning looking for a pigeon and couldn't find it. Um, so that was that was joyous. But at least I sat around while you guys were at work with a gun in my hand. Hmm. So that's probably not the worst thing, but I, I, I would have liked that thermal. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have at least shown me where the pigeon might have been. Anyway. Hard for him to hide. Mm, and um, and I also will be picking up. I picked up my my barrel and got that off to the gunsmith for my two D three, um, to get built as part of my training setup. And um, what barrel did you go for again? I got a Swan barrel. Yeah. This one. Um, so it'd be a, yeah, relatively cheap barrel. But then again, it's going on a rifle for barricade practice. So yep. hopefully, it should be uh, sufficient for that, uh, no doubt. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, also went to drop into Precision Rifle Products and had a little look at the uh, the chassis, and uh, yeah, should be picking mine up probably next week. I oh, think very good for uh, for both my two two three and my two sixty, and perhaps also for uh, twenty two. Yeah, moving along nicely. Yep. So hopefully we'll have this all set up maybe maybe by the end of the month um, for the two two three two sixty and twenty two trainer. Um, yeah, we'll see how we go. Um, I had a spur mount arrive the other day, one of two. I've got another second one coming. Um, so that should be, uh, that's now, mounts are the same, scopes are the same. Yep. Yeah, we're getting there. So. Yep. Yeah, very good. Yeah. I don't suppose it was a 36 millimeter spur mount? No, it wasn't. Okay. It was a, uh, what, 34. So Lightweight. I know. <laughs> I don't see you buying a 40 mil one. I don't have an IOR. They're the only 40 mil tubes. Uh, I don't know if they're the only one, but they're certainly one. One of few, yeah. One of not not overly many, but yeah, yeah. They still they seem to be all right. I'd like to get my hands on one and play with one, but we'll see. Think, yeah, I think there's a few few coming in shortly. So kicking around. Mm. Yeah, excellent. So any any other news, gentlemen? That's no, not from me. No, no. I'm getting good at fishing. <laughs> <laughs> good and. Um, uh, the other thing I was going to say, I shit, I don't remember if I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, probably not. Uh, I'm changing over the RDF, the nozzle RDFs for my 260. Did I tell you that? I might have mentioned oh, that. I think you mentioned them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I I will put everything on the chronograph and and do all the all the the second lot of testing this weekend. Make sure it's all doing what it's meant to be doing. So, um, and I'm also I downloaded Geo Ballistics, just the free version. Um, I'm not going to run away from AB, but I'm always mm. curious to see what else is out there. So I'm going to give that yeah. a go. So if anyone's got some tips for Geo Ballistics, let me know. I'd like to uh, try that out. Well, I guess it's uh, be interesting to sort of use applied ballistics as a, a benchmark, I mm. guess, and and yep. see how. I mean, it's fairly well proven and very well tested. So interesting to see how other programs compare. Mm. Mm. It would be uh, yeah, good to see. Always, always seems to be the benchmark the AB uh, software. So we will go from there. Um, what else do we do? I got to got the the chance to go and see uh, have a bit of a play with the Seiko M10 on the weekend. That was kind of nice to see. Have you got, you guys, I know Greg's seen one at a, at a gun show. Yeah, yeah, no, it was nice. Yeah, yeah. I'll have one, thanks. <laughs> worth the dollars, Sam? Um. It's what? a good question because there are a lot of dollars. What did we say the dollars were on those? About things? fourteen or fifteen thousand. Yeah, right. That's a fair whack. And and then you know obviously the caliber conversion kits are 
three grand or maybe a little less. Yeah, I've, I think you know they're going to work well and they do work well and they, they're an absolute pleasure to play with. You can see why they cost a reasonable amount of money. Um, would they... Would they tip me over an AI, perhaps? Probably not. I think I might be more inclined to buy an AI. Hmm. Um, but, I, I, well, hopefully in a few weeks we're going to have the opportunity to see both of them side by side. So um, we will, uh, I guess we'll be able to hopefully make a bit more of an assessment there. But it's one of those things. I think you you, you would not be unhappy with either. Gre- yeah. I mean, Greg would probably buy both, but you wouldn't be unhappy with either. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they both, it did, certainly didn't let. Did, certainly did, uh, didn't disappoint at all. Mm. I'd be interested to have a uh, good look at that rifle. Mm. Which will be, no doubt we will, either Monday uh, or uh, in a few weeks. Mm. So, um, topic for tonight, gentlemen. Uh, I threw this to you as you walked into the room tonight and uh, didn't really give you any preparation at all, which is the usual way we go about things. And uh, it, the, the question goes along the lines of, if you had to start completely again right now, knowing with the knowledge that you have right now, um, I guess it also works if you were going to advise someone and they were going to do completely everything you suggested to them, what would you do, I guess, differently? But right now, no guns, no anything, um, where would you start? I'd buy less rubbish quality gear to start with and put more money into less gear. Yep. We're not looking for just one sentence answer. Oh, <laughs> yeah, do, you want, oh, okay. do you want to be more specific? Yeah, Otherwise, it's going to be quite a short podcast. Actually. <laughs> well, Greg's still got to talk yet. So. Yeah, you're right. I, I know when we you know when I was, you know, just got my license, and there wasn't a lot of knowledge in the industry, you know, in ballistics, and you know, the, well, they only just discovered gunpowder back then. Yeah, you know, like yeah, we're still on the black powder, mate. But um, no, they, you know, you couldn't go pick up a. Well, I didn't know of too many really good books about ballistics. You know, a lot of people, your ceiling was sort of, you know, wasn't a lot of shooting going beyond 300. Um, yeah, knowledge is was hard to find, if you like. It, it was a self-discovery sort of journey. I know it would probably be, be hard to, to really do, from a knowledge front, to really do it differently, unless maybe I did more competition or... Um, but the whole ballistic side of things was a bit of, you know, a natural progression, I guess, for me. Um, yeah, but as if you're starting now, because the, the knowledge and info If is I started out there, now, started yeah, it's now. obviously education's the key. Um, I, I, I've never been a, you know, a massive guns guy. You know, obviously I shoot rifles, I love shooting, I love external ballistics, I love all that stuff, but... It's it's for me. It's about hunting and being out there, out bush. Um, but there's so much more knowledge, and 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 you know the internet. My God, you know, like <laughs> how much information's there. You know, like I had to go to a library when I was 17. You know, like to find out anything. People don't even know what a freaking library is. You know these days. But um, no knowledge. I, I would read good books, good books like. Um, you know, the Lit series, if that was around in my younger day, that would have put me so much further up the learning curve just in understanding ballistics and, and barrels and all sorts of stuff. Um, pretty quick smart. It would have accelerated my learning, I reckon, by 20 years um, based on what I actually did, 
you know, I did all like what a lot of people do is make mistakes, learn <laughs> from them, make another mistake, learn from it, you know, and it was a slow progression. But yeah, that's probably the biggest individual thing I would look at is education. Well, getting back to sort of what I alluded to in my one sentence reply. Um, <laughs> no, leave it at that. Actually, that don't deep. expand. It was deep, mate. Yeah, like me. Um, I mean, I, I would, like probably you guys and a lot of people, have had you know many, many guns over the years, which I've since gotten rid of. And in hindsight, I wouldn't bother with things that, you know, at the time seemed good. You know, I'll go and buy this rifle and put this $300 scope on it. To me now, I look at that as yeah. wasted money. Yep. Um, mm. I, I would go if somebody wants to get into you know the long range or slash precision mm. shooting field, buy one or two rifles rather than ten yeah. or fifteen. Spend the same amount of money on them. Mm. You know, buy top end scopes for those rifles yeah. and start with the best gear rather than you know if you you know cheap rifles, cheap scopes, you can have a have an inherent problem oh. with a scope and not realise it. Yeah, which I, I'm sure has happened to lots of people. Oh yeah, me included. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, look, it's interesting that I'd sort of, my mindset over the last sort of, you know, four or five years had been, I, I've got all these guns that I'd go away on a hunting trip, I'd take 10 guns and use one or two. Hmm. Why, what am I doing? You know, why not just consolidate to the ones that I actually want to use and do use regularly and get familiar with? I mean, I, I guess I would, if you've got one or two guns and you're familiar with them, you're far more likely to be proficient than 20 guns in the safe. You, you could pick one up and not have any idea of the, you know, the the drops and all that mm. sort of thing. Mm. It effectively makes it a useless gun. So mm. for me, go less but go better quality. Yeah, know, know, know the calibers you choose well. Yeah, yeah and look, mm. you know, I sort of alluded to before we started recording, I... I just recently been sort of thinking about getting rid of a few guns and going to a DTA or Desert Tech. Desert, Desert Tech. Desert yep. Tech rifle. Um, for those that sort of aren't aware, they're you know, very modular and very quick caliber changes. And so I sort of thought, well, one platform with two or three different scopes for mm. the particular barrels, you know, in quick change mounts, the barrels change out in you know, mm. under a minute. Sort of that system has become very appealing which I guess, you know, like the Seiko M10, some of the AIs are the same deal. You can quickly change calibers. Um, sort of, so that's where I'm thinking, you know, rather than having a whole bunch of guns, I would consolidate. Mm. So, very relevant topic for tonight because it's sort of what I've been tossing over in my head just recently. Have you, have you decided or you, you're still not quite sure? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yep. you have you have, have decided? decided. Yeah. So DTA, yeah. You're doing it. Yeah, it will be. Yep. I know. I know we're diverting off the topic here, but what what takes you to the the does it take rather than say an AI or an M10 or something? I I think because because I, I would be right in saying that they would achieve the same purpose. Pretty much, yeah. Yep. Do they I have, mean, were they designed to? Yeah. Do they have different barrel change over times? Or not that it's probably critical to a standard owner, but I I'm not familiar with the M10 and how the procedure is there. Um, but the Desert Tech is under a minute. Yeah, I saw Rusty's video um, from the shot. Mm. Yeah, it was it's pretty, pretty quick. impressive. Yeah. yeah, so... And the AI, to be fair, is probably similar to one. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, quick. so in that regard, I, I, that, you know, there's the speed of the 
the caliber change is you know mm. to a degree important but mm. you know I, I can't foresee too many circumstances where i'm going to need to have no. quickly i've got to get the next barrel on pretty secondary seconds. to the average shooter as yeah. long as it can be done relatively quickly without having to have it back in a workshop so i can just do it yeah, in the field rusty might think of a scenario for a for a stage and a competition <laughs> probably <laughs> the barrel, barrel change <laughs> yeah yeah, if you've got multiple barrels, this one's going to stuff you up. You have to shoot every calibre you bought with us. Don't give him ideas, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> oh, good. I'm um, sorry, we, we have diverted there away from the topic. Mm. But, um, okay, that's, that's uh, a, a good, interesting perspective. Yeah, and not to say that I'm going to go with one Desert Tech platform and that's it. To rule them all? Yeah, yeah it will do the majority of the long-range precision type stuff. I'm definitely going to keep a you know, a dedicated night rifle, yeah, um, which will be you know, configured on its own. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking at this stage probably three, maybe four different calibers uh, on the DTA platform, so with their mm-hmm. own, with each of them, with their own scopes in, yep. in a uni mount, so you can just quickly change them out as well. Straight in and out, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm thinking. Okay. I mean, it's an expensive, you know, system. But mm. the way I figure it, it sort of takes the place of three or four different rifles. So with that logic in place, I can justify it. And away you go. Yeah, okay. Um, to, to be fair, when I asked you the question, I hadn't put a lot of thought into this topic either at this stage. But I guess it, it does resonate with plenty of questions that get asked fairly regularly. Um, I think um, for me, if I was if I was starting now... I'd probably have to follow my own advice that I often give and, and buy myself a 22 and buy myself 10,000 rounds and work on getting as good with that gun as I could. So I'm mean, the same theory is, is having the, the one gun and getting to know it very well and getting very proficient with it and work on those, um, you know, because I'd have to take into account the financial factor. So if I'm just getting into the sport and thinking, oh, well, I'm not entirely sure I'm, I'm all in for this, but I'm going to give it a go. Um, that's probably a, a way I'd jump on board and get a reasonable 22 and uh, and get you know stuck in, into it. I've got plenty of access to places I can use that. Um, yeah, to start with, um, I don't know. I think one of the things I, I, um, I think is th- there's probably got to be a, a price factor in there as well, though, Andrew, is you know, if you're going to get into the sport now, you're probably not going to want to dump what, 10 grand or thereabouts on a rifle straight up yeah I mean in in all fairness though you did say knowing what you know now yep I know what I know yep and I would do what I've said I would do cool yeah so absolutely if, if I was entertain rec- some, if I was some fringe questions then if I was recommending somebody who was in the situation of starting out yep. it'd be very different because there'd be that you know no guarantee they're going to actually you know, enjoy the, the sport. So. Oh, no, we know they're going to enjoy it, whether or not they're going to take it up, though. Well, true. <laughs> they're not all going to take it up. So, you know, there are lower-priced options as far as, you know, you can go and buy a, an off-the-shelf, you know, standard sort of lower-end factory rifle that will do a lot of things. Yeah. So if somebody was recommending, you know, to start out, what would I what would I say? That was probably what I would recommend. Um, a little bit different. Yeah, you got me sort of thinking now. What would I recommend? <laughs> Throwing some questions. So uh, I I was similar in 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 too many guns too many too quickly. I I think in the first six months of having my license, I bought ten or eleven guns. Um, I think I've got 
two of them still, maybe three. Um, and one one being the shotgun, because I actually did, I did follow that advice. I spent some reasonable money on the gun um, and still have it, and it still works, and it still goes very, very well despite being heavily used. Um, and then the an air rifle, which I was out with this morning, funnily enough. That was the gun I was, didn't shoot those pigeons with. Um, and... I think I've got a 22 still from that era, which I have promised to a friend of mine, and uh, I'm waiting for him to um, get around to coming around to pick it up, basically. Um, but I think everything else I have, I think I've moved on um, from that time period. So um, uh, certainly same thing. Uh, I would I would probably choose wisely, caliber particularly. Mm-hmm. I think caliber is probably a, a big a big talking point where I would have uh, tried to attempt to space my calibers a little better than than I did. And what, I guess what I mean by that is that I wouldn't have bought calibers that double up quite so much on each other, Yeah. Um, which I think we probably have all been in that situation, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, I mean, in thinking about the, the original question, though, I'd, you know, I've had, had a lot of unusual calibers, I guess, in the past, because mm-hmm. I've had ability to, you know, to work on my own gear, and if I want to do something wacky, I can do it. That that was all fun at the time, but I don't really have any of those things anymore because you know, you know, I I built a a twenty two caliber on a three through eight Lapua, neck down and improved. I, and think, I think we talk about that enough. <laughs> I think they probably should be brought out a lot more. Maybe Laser beam. Yeah, it was, but it was a little disappointing. Yeah, it was fun, but mm. I mean, it was extremely time consuming, frustrating. Mm. But it was not cheap either. No, not cheap, but not ridiculously priced really I mean it was yeah you got a 450 shots per barrel I mean that's no you're probably more looking <laughs> about 150 that's what I said 450 <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what did you think I said <laughs> I mean I, I mean that was fun and it was good fun and I, I played around with you know large caliber subsonic stuff and yeah. you know, just obscure things that at the time it was great fun and mm. not a lot of people were doing it so it was kind of learning as you go and that sort of thing again I don't I wouldn't go with that anymore, but it was sort of part of, I guess, what shaped my interest. And yeah, and I guess that's a that's almost uh, no, it's completely relevant to the, the the conversation. But but also, it's almost slightly on the side, isn't it? So you'd, you'd almost operate within within what you do for yourself, and then then the other interesting stuff to develop your knowledge on a on a sort of auxiliary basis. Yeah, and like sort of while I was doing it, those things were you know those rifles and calibers were great fun, um, yep. and you learn a lot from them as mm. far as, you know, your hand loading techniques and what's possible ballistically and what's not. And so, you know, I wouldn't not do those things again, mm-hmm. but again, if I was recommending someone starting out, I, I'm hardly going to recommend them do a twenty-two, <laughs> three, three, eight. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably, uh, yeah, at least maybe second gun, but not first. No, I mean, having said this, my very first centerfire rifle was a custom built six mil two, eight, four. Yep. On a Stolly Panda action, that was my very first centerfire. And tell me about the uh, yeah, it was a single feed, wasn't it? Yeah, a single yeah. shot. And tell me about the time you took that spotlighting for the first time out. Yeah, it doesn't quite go so well when when the farmer that's driving the Ute decides to chase the fox, <laughs> and we chased the fox for probably ten or fifteen minutes until he couldn't run anymore and literally lay down twenty, 20 yards from the car. So. Yeah, probably not the best thing, but it was funny. Again, no, <laughs> yes, a learning curve. Yep. For me and the farmer and the fox, but 
Um, Probably the fox got the most out of it. Yeah, I still remember looking through the scope and his tongue was hanging out and he was just panting. He couldn't stand up anymore. Oh, Hopefully yeah. we're not going to have too many Peter representatives listening to the podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Good. No, you're just looking for a run anyway. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so what about, Greg, would you would you buy a thermal now knowing knowing what you know? Yeah, I did buy one now. Yeah, back a few okay, weeks sorry, ago. Within, nah, <laughs> but look, look, you know, I've, I've, within the context of what we're saying, yeah, would you look, would you buy one now if you didn't have? I've I've always had an interest in technology and you know how it, because I, I've been a mad keen hunter, not so much a shooter, but right up until I was sort of like thirty years old, it was hunting. I was I lived breathed hunting, and uh, yeah. the the shot, the final kill, was just the icing on the cake. And most of those shots were close range. I didn't need to know anything about ballistics. So that's sort of where I come from. Yep. And then um, when I moved back home here to South Australia, all of a sudden, instead of shooting in tight alpine uh, mountains, I was shooting in, in open plains farmland. So I had to learn how to reach out. Yeah. And that's where the, the journey started with, with um, long-range shooting. And that's where I started to get an interest in, and started to improve my skills. But... Um, I would get one in a heartbeat because when when you give it to a hunter, it just changes the whole hunting dynamic. Now, it's not so much shooting related, I guess. Well, it is in the end. But when when you go thermal, it's it's almost like you're just drifting through the environment and nothing knows you're there and everything's just going about its business and all of a sudden you... Uh, uh, like free hunting, if you like, you, you're not. Yeah, it's 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 hard until you're out there, and and you see it, and you just go, man, this is amazing. Like nothing knows I'm here. You know, nothing. Sort of like an ugly bloke at a club. What's that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But um, no, um, yeah. So you know, from a hunting perspective, in a heartbeat. From a long range shooting perspective, no way, Jose. Mm-hmm. It's not that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you can reach out. Yeah, if you probably went a really expensive model, this is the this is the big thing with thermal. It's it's cost inhibitive, if you like. They're quite expensive if you want to get quality. Yep. And and but the sensors go up in quality, which allows you to zoom, um, which allows you to do those longer shots. But you need you need deep pockets to get mm. something like that. But um, Make it worthwhile. You know they've got calibrated reticules. Theoretically, you can pull off longer shots, but it's not really that. It's more about, yeah. It's more about just disappearing, in mm-hmm. terms of you know not using light. And, um, yeah. So you know, in a heartbeat, I would recommend that to anyone. But of course, you gotta, you gotta have the cash roll. <laughs> but I mean, I love the way you smile when you say that word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the joke, mate. I think you made it. We don't need to make it. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's the same as you I know. Hope that say with a dribble. Yeah. Well, it was, but yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, the same would be you know if if somebody showed you that thermal scope and you'd never seen one before, you just go, yes, this is awesome. Yeah. The same is the same goes if you if you show somebody a really high end, you know, conventional rifle scope and good rifle mm. that has never had that before. They've only had off the shelf, you know, very limited, you know, capacity rifles and you know low end optics. It's the same deal. It, it opens their eyes. Yeah. You know, I was speaking to Dan, our you know, non-existent podcast member, mm. and he 
related in, story. Infrequent, I like to say, infrequent. <laughs> Very infrequent. He relayed a story where um, he shot a crow at you know, 450 metres or something mm. like that, dialed it up, but there was a guy there with him who had never seen that before and he said he just changed his outlook mm. on shooting. Yeah. That's what got him into the long-range shooting. Yeah, you know, the what, light bulb comes watching on. Watching something like that happen, like, wow, mm. this is possible. Mm. So, you know, for, for an inexperienced shooter... To mm. see higher quality equipment, whether it be conventional optics and scopes, or yeah, you know, and rifles, or you know, a thermal scope, yeah. it's the same effect. Really, it kind of makes you go, "Wow, where's this been all my life?" Yeah, yeah. I think um, we talked a lot about equipment, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. But then we're going to move on from that because I've got some other questions for you. Um, but the uh, one thing back on the hunting side of things that you were saying, Greg, mm. um, one of the things I wished, and I always wish I'd done it number of years earlier was put a hole through my roof and put a spotlight in it oh, because yeah, I did God, that yes. after I sort of questioned back and forth back and forth for about three years I went should I do this oh no, no. anyway I did it yeah no I uh, I should have done it three years prior in fact mm. should have done it ten years prior but probably didn't fit too well in a uh, in a prelude with a air, with, with a sunroof <laughs> a simple solution <laughs> would be do it to a higher car first and you know if you like the concept mm. well, well yeah. I was actually going to borrow yours but uh, yeah, hey, anyway. fine yeah I'll <laughs> good, be good but, with that but um, just before you drop off equipment to oh, wait, no, wait, no still going on equipment oh you still going right. but anyway that was, I, I was just going to say one another one there's, when a you're non, there's a non-gun but that's just one of those things yeah. that I questioned a lot and and, mm. and I think we was because um, uh, I used it so often that I just went oh you know that actually this this makes a big difference and, and it doesn't always have to be guns and bits and pieces. Some of those things sort of certainly help. It, yeah. it actually increased our effective our effectiveness because I could focus on driving and the, the, the passenger mm. could focus on spotting uh, rather than me spotting and driving. And uh, and it's certainly, um, yeah, we, we got a... And then you weren't sort of trying to drive in a position so that the spotter could shoot while you were holding the light. You, yeah. you It didn't matter which side, whatever it was, was on. You could just drive, put it up, one of the sides and away you go. Yeah, it um, does make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. so little, little things like that, are, you know, it mm. probably comes down to sort of kind of the, the, the reasonable quality one as well because mm. that was, you know, better quality than the, the, the flip-up one which I sold to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> After all that. Yeah. yeah but, but probably one other one that sort of goes in hand with effectiveness in the field is, is a good set of binos. Like, I've only just got a good set of binos you know, in recent years, mm, I've, I've, I've struggled with crap binos. Well, I didn't know I was struggling, but now I've got good ones. I realise now I was struggling. And, um, you know, you get a good set of binos, you look out with the naked eye and there's nothing out there, but you, you know, put your binos up and then all of a sudden targets start to show up all over the place. So if you've got any any aspirations of being a long-range hunter, I think if you don't have a pair, you, you're not going to see a hell of a lot at long-range. Um, mm. And that was a big game changer for me. I um back on to back on well no we haven't left equipment yet but but one one more thing uh, on equipment I don't, um I don't disagree with uh, what Andrew says buying the best you can get um but sometimes the best you can get isn't the best I think the other point I certainly agree on with you Andrew is to get one yeah sort of limit yourself to the the calibers you're going to use yeah you might I mean. Don't necessarily limit yourself to only one caliber or two caliber. You get the ones that you're going to use on a regular basis. So if you regularly go pig, pig shooting and a 30-30 lever action is going to be good for you, mm. mate, absolutely. But don't uh, – you know, we saw – I remember years and years ago we saw guys come into the shop and they'd buy a 45-70. You're like, oh, cool, mate. Awesome gun. What are you going to use it for? And they're like, oh, I just want to shoot it. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a legitimate reason for buying a gun. I'm mm. totally okay with that. 
and they'd buy it and then they'd come out and they'd shoot four or five rounds with it and they're like yeah this is awesome and i'm like yeah cool cool do you guys want to go spotlighting like oh yeah i haven't really got the gun for that you go well Mm. we could actually go spotlighting like four times the next two months but you haven't got the gun for it. Mm. Um, and and it's think you know, about the task. Being able yeah. to actually utilise the guns that, that mm. you buy to, to you know, actually get out and shoot them, you get very good with them if you use that. And, and yeah, we... Um, uh, with optics, optics are certainly big on spending good money on um, because yeah. I think you do get it. And I remember, I remember my first real quality optic I put on and I... I nearly cried because I thought this is going to cost me a lot of money for the other guns as well once I, <laughs> once I change them over because I know that I cannot go back from this. You yeah, know, that's yeah. probably one of the things. But there are some, yeah, there are some good stuff with that mid-range price bracket, particularly for this long-range side of things that certainly will achieve the purpose without breaking the bank. Um, mm. But yeah, don't 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 spend your five hundred bucks on it. Just wait till you got fifteen hundred, and, and mm. then then yeah, you you certainly get something fairly good um, for that sort of thing. Brings me, um, I guess, one of the things that you know, talking about spotlighting, going hunting, and and those sort of things. Yeah, we did buy guns, hopefully suitable to task. Eventually worked it out, and I remember what, one property we used, and and I particularly remember we went down there one time for a Easter bunny shoot at Easter, and a little bit of tradition. We'd go down there, and we um. I remember we went out, and we'd yeah, we were pretty stoked. We get like three or four rabbits in a night, uh, and that was awesome. Yeah, back back years ago and you go this is brilliant and um you'd see 30 or 40 you'd knock a few off mm. and you're going yeah we're doing all right i remember then we'd, we'd visit that property probably nearly every two weeks and shoot as much as we could not necessarily always spotlighting in fact not often spotlighting but just shooting targets shooting gong shooting whatever we could uh commonly with 22s uh two threes that sort of year and i remember the year later the year after we went out again on the easter bunny weekend and we shot 30 or 35 in a night which was pretty darn close to 100% of everything we saw mm. and uh, we kept that up for a little while and then I remember going back to the next one and shooting about 3 or 4 again except we only saw 3 or 4 and I remember sort of realising going yeah okay obviously all this practice we're putting in is actually paying off yeah. and I think that's one of the big things that I'll, I would have done uh, differently uh, if I started now was to um, spend the time behind the guns, you know, really mm. spend the time, uh, you know, rather than buying the, the multiple guns, the 10 to 11 guns in six months that I bought, I probably would have bought two, maybe three, uh, the, all that I would have used on a regular basis and then just spent the money on the ammo mm. and put the, put the rounds down range. That makes good sense. Mm. So I was going to ask you guys, what, what um, equipment aside, what else would you do outside of that? Oh. Now, I know you mentioned the books. Um, yeah, I'd probably just jump in almost on the back of what you just said. I'd, I'd probably, you know... I'm not sure the rabbits would be okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, shoot them anyway. <laughs> but um, target plates, you know, the, the modern day target plates, um, you know, the Biz 500 and stuff. You know, you get out there and you tap them quite a bit and, and it just turns you into such an efficient hunter. So mm. just the whole practice to be a more efficient hunter in terms of laying your rounds off on target, that really does pay off um, in real terms. Um, and, I, and I'd probably just say, you know, that that'd definitely be one thing I'd do different. I'd, de- I'd definitely put the time aside to just go shoot a few plates, you know, just, just mm. time, time behind the gun. I would, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I'd also, I would, 
if I had the opportunity, keep better records from the start, particularly with hand yeah. loading and, and rifle mm-hmm. performance, what the guns are doing. Um, you know, now I've got a, a thick folder of of targets, of shot, of load data, of, of you know, data as such as, you know, cold bore, point of impact, um, you know, yep. dirty barrel versus clean barrel, point of impact, this sort of stuff that when you're first starting out, it never even enters your mind. <laughs> but, you know, if you're trying to shoot, particularly like in a hunting scenario, if you're trying to shoot a deer at 1,200 metres and you're waiting there, you're going to have a cold barrel, presumably. Mm. You know, so you've got to know what's it going to do on the first shot versus the second and, and this sort of thing. So just, I'd keep a lot more record of, of everything, basically. That's a good topic for another night, by the way, the old cold bore discussion. Just putting that out there. Anyway, discuss that one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'd, even even things like keeping dummy rounds, you know, for particular guns, I keep, you know, now it's all stored in the in the boxes with the dies. So when you're setting mm-hmm. dies up, you know, I keep the dies set anyway. But, you know, just rather than kind of going mm-hmm. by sort of, you know, winging it sort of on the fly, going, oh, what did I do last time? You know, how did that go? I'll just pull a, pull a load out of the ADI book, near enough's good enough sort of thing. You know, that doesn't really cut it. The sort of the longer you want to go, yep. So yeah, better record keeping. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably one that I, I wish I'd done, had done, and probably still to this day continue wish I'd done a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, I do seem to rely on apps a little bit more, um, but I guess I spent my time learning the app very well, so I can pull data out of an app very quickly, and usually it's fairly good. Um, I think. I mean, I'm obviously I'm going to be fairly biased here, but I'm going to say training. Uh, is useful mm-hmm. now. Be that formal training, be that you know through courses and such. Um, obviously, that works well. But um, I guess the the other side the other side of that is even just getting around guys who know more than you do, and spending time with them. Um, and that's probably the same in every aspect of life, be it in shooting or in um, business or in knitting, uh, you know, whatever else. <laughs> I don't know what other hobbies you people have, but um, but other bits and pieces, um, it's worth spending time with guys who know more than you. Um, you know, forums and, and internet and YouTube stuff is, it can be good, but you've obviously certainly got to uh, be aware of who's passing the advice on and whether or not they have have the information to pass on or, or so, not. The same goes with, with in-person knowledge that's being mm-hmm. imparted on you, though. I, I mean, yeah, true. All of us would have experienced the the know-it-alls at the range over the years some of them do actually have good knowledge Uh, you know I guess it's that ability to discern good from bad it's a lot easier to do when you're with them and you can get a bit of a feel for it not not completely but yeah rather than some text on a screen yeah from a from a new shooter's perspective Mm. you know if you were you've got your rifle and you've got it all set up you go to the range you've got six or seven blokes there that are all going to throw advice at you some of it you know, obviously, normally it would be worth listening to, and some of it wouldn't be. Mm. But I guess you don't know that until you've mm. advanced through the yeah, sport a little cool. bit. Yeah, and sometimes they're right for 1980. <laughs> 1880. So yeah, so they're pretty convincing, and you know, they they I guess they were right at a point in time, and they just haven't sort of kept up to date. So you got to be careful of that too. They're pretty convincing guys. Yeah, and I guess you you do yeah you certainly do see and. Online as well, you can learn some amazing stuff from people online mm. if if they're the right people to learn from. Um, certainly, but the um, uh, yeah, if, if you find people who are actually keeping their knowledge updated and changing their opinion based on what yeah. you know, what's actually happening, what's you know moving forward, and 
Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the, the you know, never or ever type, type uh, words, you know, where you say, oh, that'll never happen or yeah. you know, that's always a, always the way it would happen um, uh, because, you know, we technology does seem to advance and we're doing stuff now that we don't have to go that back that far enough uh, and people will certainly mm. say it's not, not possible. I mean, even just basic ballistic principles that, uh, you know, certainly, you know, I was in the military years ago um, you know, did armorous course, and, and some of the the principles they taught back then are just blatantly wrong. Mm. Um, to be honest, and, and look, they may not be teaching the same thing these days. But yep. this is stuff that's discovered sort of collectively over a period of time. It's sort of rarely is it a just a, a one light bulb mm. moment that discovers it. You know, like what projectiles are doing in flight, and, and this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's you know, knowledge develops over a period of time and you look at now what we've got as far as you know ballistic apps and what we know about projectiles in flight and and how they react that we are miles ahead of where we were 20 years ago even league even two three four years ago um you know we grew remember yeah a lot of look back at some of the content of courses that we've we taught three years ago and we're forever i mean we we review most of our courses at least every 12 months if not more often and um and yeah, we we've updated, not not because we necessarily were teaching things that were wrong. There's just more information now there, and mm. there's there's more data to draw on, and so you can provide either a more rounded information. Um, and same with my own shooting, I shoot I shoot far differently now than I did probably two years ago, two and a half years ago. I, I have a different hand set up, and I do different, you know, just different bits and pieces. Um, so it's it's. You know, you find people who are con- continually responding to the information that gets put out, testing it, of course, because mm. um, there is there is a, a there's also an aspect of trending, where something comes out that's the latest thing and and sort of jump at people jump on board, but it's not necessarily being put through the paces. It yeah, just sounds validated. Yeah, I mean, you see that regularly with with cartridges and you know types of rifles and it. Fads come and go, as you said, but mm. I mean there are mainstays that you know that do last because they work. But um, I feel like someone's saying three oh eight to me. Is that what you're implying there, Andrew? Well, you read between <laughs> the lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm know. sure in you know maybe twelve or thirteen months we have this discussion and two sixty will be sort of relegated to the the dinosaur era. But no uh, doubt, no yeah. doubt. Yeah, things seem to move pretty quickly. Um, um, six mils are taken over from last week. Yeah, yeah. Re- recall control. So I had a, a, I was having a chat to someone today. Now I'm trying to think who it was um, in my ventures today. Um, and they were, were talking about that very topic. Uh, oh, it was, um, yeah, we were talking about that very topic and we're talking back and forth about, you know, with uh, particularly with Lapua, um, releasing the 6.5 creamer with a small primer mm. pocket now is that this you know sort of puts a bit of a twist on why people were moving away from the creed more uh to the six four, uh, 6.5 by 47 or 6 by 47 and moving back so it's you know, it's just one of those things that's can you know trending you're talking about yeah. well it's it's in between isn't it it's, yeah. it could be a bit of trending but it could you know seeing that data you got to look at why things trend i mean is mm. it is it trends driven by manufacturers yeah or is it trends driven by results mm. and in which case you know with the say the shift to six mils in the prs kind of competition it's, it's because that's what's working to a fair degree you know it'd be interesting if these guys are experiencing like 
better or worse uh, standard deviations in their MVs between two different cartridges pushing the same projectile. Yeah, that's you a know, fair like point. your six by forty-seven and your six Creedmoor. You know, push. You know, is is there uh, some real data supporting a sway? Either and, way, and I think that's that's what I really liked about the um, uh, precision shooting, a uh, precision rifle blog, um, is yeah. that they do actually they they present that data quite neutrally, and they pre- present it in such a way as it, it sort of this is the facts, this is what's going on, mm. and uh, and not necessarily drawing huge conclusions bar what's backed up from the data um but again you know that's what i think i like about particularly what they're they're what the pros use sort of set up um mm. is that it looks on data and, and now is looking on data based over a number of years rather yeah. than looking on data based on what do they do this year and, and you know who uh who thought this was a great idea um it actually if it's sort of you're seeing a trend come through there for a number of years obviously there's something uh, there's something to it mm. Uh, okay, um, I'm just I'm just bringing up a. Uh, uh, you reminded me of what the pros use has released their latest one about scopes, which I figured we talk we can touch on shortly. Yep. Yeah. So, what have you guys uh, happy with responses to that topic, question, something like that? Yeah, I, I yeah. guess it'd be interesting to hear what other people's thoughts are on the same topic. Of you know, what would you do differently? Or what would you do the same if you could start again? I'd, well, let's let's do that. So, guys, if you are if you're listening, obviously you are because you've got this far away, um, this far through. Um, what we'd love to hear is because uh, that's some of the thoughts from us um, at the last minute. You guys get a bit more notice than we do. Um, is we want to come back to this topic in a couple of weeks, uh, and we would love for you guys to tell us your thoughts. So maybe you'd, you'd sort of number one or two things based on if you were starting again now. Um, and oh, by the way, I'd, I'd buy bubble level straight up. That's one oh, thing. Yeah, <laughs> one thing I do early on. Very good point. Um, but th- that aside, we'd love to hear what your number sort of one and two uh, things are for this. And what we'd we'd ask you to do, you can email us a message if us if you want. But what we'd really like is if you can grab your phone, grab the um, uh, press uh, the, like the record the audio record software on that, and record. 30 seconds or a minute of what your sort of number one or two would be and then uh, email it through to podcast at precisionshootingpodcast.com.au that's podcast at precisionshootingpodcast.com.au email that file through most phones will just have an, a send to function and you can flick that through and uh, we'll have it we'll check them out uh, put a bunch of them in the show hopefully and the, I think our favourite answer probably probably can get one of these mugs you reckon? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll... Uh, we'll Might even sign it. <laughs> <laughs> that does increase the value, of course. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> at least 20, 20, 25 cents. Are going to sign it with like a $50, $50 note? I don't know how that will work, actually. Um, yeah, no, that sounds that sounds wonderful. So uh, if we if we do that, um, and we'd love to get, you know, guys, drop it through. Um, we, we probably have to limit the... Oh, no, we could probably send the mug overseas, maybe. Can we do that? Oh, I don't know. If it's not too expensive, we'll send it over. Oh, Craig can pay for it, but we'll, we'll send it overseas. Um, so, yeah, guys, whoever is our favourite entrance, give us your uh, give us your um, your audio file, and uh, that would be awesome. We'd love to chuck in the show and uh, see if we can come up with, uh, with something. Um, cool. Uh, and anything you missed or anything you disagree with us, um, put it in there as well. You're welcome to. So... Uh, 
as we sort of alluded to, Precision Rifle Blog have released their um, best long-range scopes, uh, what the pros use, uh, for um, 2016 from the PRS. Um, I'll run through the top five. Uh, number one, again, second year in a row, is the Vortex Razor HD Gen 2. Uh, number two, I'm excited about this one, Carla's uh, K624i. Uh, number three, the Night Force ATAC R F1. Uh, number four, the Schmidt and Bender PM2. And number five, the Leopold Mark 8. All right. Gentlemen, any surprises or interests or anything? Not necessarily. A little bit surprised the Leopold is there, to be honest. Um, yep. They, well, in sort of my view, they've kind of let the competition get ahead as far as the, the tactical scope market goes. Yep. Um, you know, they, I have heard of, you know, issues. I've seen them as well. You know, every scope manufacturer gets the issues from time to time. So, yeah, a little, little surprise to see that there. I guess they've obviously got things sorted, got a good scope there, so. The, um, the... Give you a bit, bit more information. So one of the interesting things they do is obviously they've got a number of years of data. And so those vortexes have been, uh, they were uh, probably kicking around sort of just over 20% three years ago. Last year they were about 40%. This year they've, they've backed off just a touch to 36 but they're still the dominant by quite a, well, the top number two and three add them together and they're the same percentage as the vortex. So they're obviously up there a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carlos has gone from, oh, for three years, probably about... Three percent or four percent up to somewhere around fourteen, and now holding about twenty. Um, and that was not a surprise. I, I certainly, when I was there, I thought, or for the finale, I thought, eh, there's a lot of colours getting around at the moment, uh, more than I thought there was listed uh, last year, and that seemed to be backed up. The night forces dropped a l- away a little bit from the year before, um, but three years ago they were, you know, only a handful of handful of set three or four of them. Mm. Uh, Schmidt have been a um, have finally gained some ground after three years ago being the major dominant player in well above thirty percent, and uh, you know dropped off a little bit last year and, and have actually increased this year, um, which is interesting to see. Leopold were virtually non-existent before and now yeah. are sitting around seven percent. Um, US Optics have had a bit of a continual decline. Um, Tangent Theta has made their first entry into the list uh, with a strong 3%. Here's one I found interesting. Do you guys remember what was um, what was scope number three last year at all? Oh, hang on, let me, let me get my years right. Number four last year. No. No? It was Bushnell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the ERS. Yeah, Bushnell, I think last year would have been, well, three years ago they were sitting around, say, 20%, then down to uh, last year about probably 12 This year they're sitting at 2%. Yeah, I think I think what shows there is the competition has sort of come forward in leaps and bounds, and I don't think Leopold, oh, not sorry, Leopold, I don't think Bushnell has sort of really advanced their product range a lot. Mm. They've... they've They've released a couple of new models, and but it's nothing, sort of no big steps up. They haven't got that top-tier sort of offering, do they? Yeah, no, they're a different yeah. price point too, aren't they, really? Mm. Yeah, and they're a different quality point mm. too, and mm. you get what you pay for. Mm. Um, I think there's probably a number of factors why different scopes are, are trending up and down. It, it could be a fair bit to do with how they're promoted. 
mm. you know, how heavily the the manufacturers want to have the presence there as far as sponsorship and and I guess that's probably a really fair point because there's only one type of shooting amongst quite a, a number. It's obviously well, it's one of the most um, rapidly growing, but um, yeah, it is obviously only one one offering uh, amongst another uh, a big market over there. Yeah, so I mean, you know, certain manufacturers chosen to to put a lot of resources into promotion of their product for the PRS, you know, then you would expect they're going to have a stronger showing. I mean, if they've got a product that's not suitable, then no, but, uh, you know, it seems now we're sort of spoiled for choice with optics in particular. There's a lot of choices that would, would do the job and, you know, there's similar kind of price points, so... Mm. Absolutely. Um, they've got another little list here down the bottom, uh, which is the most popular scopes and production division. Um, the production division is limited by some dollar figures and package sort of amounts. Uh, in here you've got the uh, Vortex Viper PST, um, which is, let me, this is the top four competitors from the production division. Viper PST, the Bushnell 624, uh, Elite Tactical, uh, again the Viper PST for another competitor, and then the Falcon M18, uh, which I believe came first overall. But anyway, that's, um, yeah, that's another, um, you know, it's good to see that there is, they keep their data on the sort of lower, uh, the other grade, the production grade. Yeah. Mm. So I guess no um, no massive surprises in there, a little bit of shuffling around, a little bit of growth. Oh, actually the Leopold probably is a big surprise. Didn't expect to see that on the list. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they sit, say, next year, for example. Mm. Mm. Well, we'll only have to wait a year to find out, eh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, very good. So, guys, that's um, Precision Rifle Blog. Make sure you check it out. And they uh, they will, no doubt, be releasing more and more of those um, those articles uh, on other stuff. One of the ones I was interested to see is what percentage are running suppressors versus muzzle brakes. Because um, I took a guess, it didn't. It sort of felt about fifty-fifty. Yeah, That's okay. based on no data, apart from minor observations that I wasn't mm -hmm. really paying attention to. But yeah, hopefully uh, I'll be somewhere. No, I've got no predictions on that really. But just didn't. It didn't feel like it was dominated by one or the other. Yep. <laughs> Very good. All right, gentlemen. I think uh, we are pretty much done for tonight. I think we are keen to hear from our listeners as to what they. Uh, what they've done so uh, if they can send through um some of the suggestions that would be wonderful to have them on the show it's about as close as we get to a call-in at the moment unfortunately live call-ins can't be edited so it's probably not a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> um yeah one again we, we probably should do one of these on actual facebook live one time so we can take questions but we'd, we'd have to behave and because uh, we couldn't really edit that so much yeah there's a risk factor. Yeah, that might be beyond <laughs> Greg's uh, Greg's ability there. Have you got a beep button? Uh, there's a button over there. You yeah, can, right. We oh, could yeah. we could hook up for that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Excellent, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, make sure you check out the uh, the um, the the stuff that you do. What what do people check out? The photo of the uh, mugs that you could win oh, yeah. for uh, getting in and uh, yeah, us uh, sipping coffee coffee out of them uh, comfortably. All right, very good. We will uh, hope to speak to you again in a couple of weeks. Cheers, gentlemen. All right, see you later. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. 
to continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.